You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mission Church. Pastor David here with you in your living rooms, and uh, great to be with you on this, the first day of the week. We are gathered today to worship Jesus, and I want to encourage you to put away your distractions and all the things that might be vying for your attention, and uh, just give the Lord the the attention and the focus that He deserves. Uh, So good to be with you. We appreciate you tuning in. And uh, there are good things happening. Uh, Our president announced this week that churches are going to be reopening soon. And so now uh, it goes to get uh, Governor Newsom. And we're going to really be praying on that, uh, praying about the church reopening. And uh, we're shooting for maybe a tentative date, uh, just a soft date we've kind of been preparing for, for June 14th. So would encourage you to join us in prayer in that. And uh, let's, uh, can't wait to get back into fellowship with you all. Even though it's going to look a little different, it'll still be great to be all together. So be praying about that. Uh, also have an announcement about our building. Uh, we went into escrow last week, and we have a 45-day escrow from the day of opening. And uh, we are in the process right now. We've had the, the inspections done and all those kind of things. So keep that in prayer. And uh, we are praying for the Lord to provide for it. Uh, and uh, may he go before us in all of these things. So thankful he has given this to be our permanent church home. And uh, we are really, really blessed. Just praise the Lord for it. Uh, hey, it is Memorial Day weekend. And hope you have plans with the family and uh, just, you know, able to barbecue in the backyard and enjoy the, the Memorial Day weekend. And what an amazing thing that uh, people have given their lives as we take this weekend to remember those who have laid down their lives serving their country. I ran across this picture, and it really struck me, man. Look at the thousands and thousands of boots with flags in them right there, each one representing a soldier, very sobering indeed. And we are reminded once again that freedom is not free. It comes at a cost. We have to fight for our freedom and to protect it and to preserve it. And we are so thankful for all the men and women who have laid down their lives and put themselves, uh, you know, just out for the, uh, for the benefit of the country. And uh, what a tremendous blessing that is for us. And so right now we want to remember them. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's pray and just bring our hearts before the Lord. Lord, on this Memorial Day, we do thank you, Lord, for all those men and women who have laid down their lives for their country. Lord, war is such a sad thing, and and yet it is necessary in order to preserve the things that are valuable, the things that are important to you, and the freedoms that we so enjoy. And so, Lord, we just lift up all the families of those who have lost loved ones, and uh, Lord, we ask that you would comfort them as only you can. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a heart of gratitude and appreciation for those who have laid down their lives and those who have fought for us. And Lord, we thank you for this great country that we live in. May you cause your face to shine upon it, and may you bless it. 
Uh, and Lord, we thank you that uh, uh, you've, uh, you've blessed us abundantly in the past. And so, Lord, uh, we also come before you right now as we open up our Bibles and as we get ready to study your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we know that you laid down your life for us on a cross. You displayed your tremendous love for us. You paid the price of our sins that we might know you, that we might be in fellowship with you. And Lord, it's to that end we call upon you now for your Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct us into a deeper relationship with you. And we prayed in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can't wait till I hear your voices responding in prayer, and we get to be in fellowship together again. It's going to be soon. Uh, hey, on Tuesday nights, we are doing a Revelation study, and I want to invite you to come out and check that out. It's really been fun. Uh, we do it at 6 o'clock. It's available on Facebook Live, on our website, themissionchurch.net, and also on YouTube. And uh, we are getting a lot, of, uh, a lot of hits all across the country. Uh, people are tuning in. It's been really fun. And uh, people are texting in your questions. I love the questions you're texting in. Uh, it's an interactive study. So at the end of the study, you can text your questions in and we answer them uh, on camera. And uh, just been really fun to be a part of it with you. Uh, last week, we, on last Tuesday, we looked at the church of Ephesus, how a church loses its first love. And we're going to cover a bunch of the churches this Tuesday, so I encourage you to tune in at 6 o'clock. Right now, though, get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are in a series titled, Unexpected Messiah. And we've been looking at how Jesus was so different than what we expected him to be. He was God in the flesh. And he revealed the heart of God to us because he was God in the flesh. And now we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that ever, ever has been preached. It is profound. And Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And we spent several weeks in the Beatitudes. And then from the Beatitudes, he moves on in verse 13 through 16. And he talks about our purpose in this earth. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be the salt of the earth. In other words, Jesus wants to partner with us to be kingdom builders, to be participating in the good work Jesus is doing here on the earth. Your life has a purpose as a Christian. God wants to use you. And so we looked at all that. And now we look at the third part of the Sermon on the Mount today. We're going to pick it up in, in verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17. And we're going to look at the true intent of the Scripture. The title of the message is, The Intent of the Bible. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to, to miss the obvious intent of the Bible? Even as Christians, we're prone to do it. We look at God's word and we go, yeah, well, I'm not supposed to do this and I'm not supposed to do this and I'm not supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do this. And, and we can make it about rules and regulations just like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day did. And we can miss the true intent of the Bible. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings us back to the true intent of the Bible. Long ago, I heard a story of Sherlock Holmes and Watson going out camping. 
And there they were out camping and having a good time. And at the end of a long day, they set up their tent to retire for the night. They go to bed, they go to sleep, and in the middle of the night, Sherlock wakes up Watson and says, Watson, wake up. Watson wakes up and he looks up and he says, what, what, what is it, what? And Sherlock says, Watson, look up into the stars. What do you deduce? So Watson looks up into the stars and he says, wow, it's beautiful. I deduce that space is infinitely large, that it's incredibly well designed, that it's beautiful and and just awe-inspiring, and that we obviously are not alone. There's a designer behind it all. And Sherlock says, no, stupid, someone stole our tent. And somehow life can be like that. Our relationship with God can be like that. Going to church, maybe even tuning in can be like that. We forget the true intent of what God had in mind. The Bible isn't rules to follow. It is to bring us into a relationship with our Creator. And when we lose the intent of that, we turn it into something quite Uh, unlike what God wanted us to have, an amazing relationship with him. Jesus brings us back to that true intent. And uh, let's pick it up. Uh, Here, Jesus is going to show us. He's going to affirm the authority of Scripture. And uh, look what he says in verse 17, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. Yeah, the Old Testament Don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Hey, the Old Testament is not archaic. It's not outdated. Jesus says, don't think I came to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle, will by no means pass from the law until all of it is fulfilled. A jot and a tittle were little marks on Hebrew letters. They were the smallest of little marks. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, there's not, a even, there's not even a dotting of the eye of God's word that will not be completely fulfilled. What does that mean for us? Here's what it means We can trust God's word. We can bank on it. Jesus says, don't think I came to replace it. Not at all. I came to fulfill it. All of it is going to be completely fulfilled. Verse 19, in light of that, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here we see some things right out of the gate in Jesus' teaching here. Jesus affirms the authority of Scripture. And furthermore, he says, hey, uh, I did not come to replace Scripture. No, 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 I came to fulfill Scripture. 
Jesus did not create a new religion. Jesus didn't come along and say, hey, we're going to do things over. We're going to start all over. We're going to do a brand new work. No, 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 no. Christianity is not a different religion than Judaism. Christianity is Judaism fulfilled. You see, in Judaism, there was a promise all along from the days of Adam, and God continued to reiterate that promise over and over. Hey, you are sinners. You need substitutionary atonement. I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. A Messiah is going to come. He will restore all things. And this prophecy was all through Scripture. Jesus coming onto the scene was not a, a replacement of Judaism. It was a fulfillment of Judaism. And today, when a Jewish person comes to Jesus, he doesn't change religions. He embraces the fullness of Judaism. Jesus didn't come to bring a new religion. As a matter of fact, all of the Jewish feasts find their greater meaning in the person of Jesus. Passover, for example, it was more than being leaving Egypt and going, uh, you know, deliverance from Egypt. No, 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 no. It was a picture of Jesus dying on the cross for us. Jesus died on Passover. He was our, our Passover lamb. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which followed Passover. You would have Passover and you would have uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread was get, removing all the leaven from your house. Leaven in the Bible, a picture of sin, a type of sin. Unleavened Bread, Jesus fulfilled that feast, just like he fulfilled the Feast of Passover. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross for us, all of our sin was completely removed. And in each of the feasts, the seven feasts, the feast of first fruits, uh, yeah, they would get their offerings and they would wave them to the Lord, the first fruits of the, of the crops. But we learn that that was the picture of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus resurrected on the day of first fruits, on the very day. And so all of the seven feasts, the Feast of Weeks, that was fulfilled uh, at the coming of the Holy Spirit. We call it Pentecost. The next feast is Trumpets. That'll be fulfilled when Jesus comes back and raptures his church. After that is Tabernacles. Uh, that will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back at the second coming and we will, 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 will dwell with him. And so all of the feasts were will be fulfilled. Were, excuse me, four of the feasts were fulfilled by Jesus. Three more will be fulfilled by Jesus. And Jesus did not come to create a new religion. He came to fulfill the religion that he had already started. Jesus says, don't think I can't come to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And so as Christians, what does that mean for us? Well, it means this. We cannot say, well, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Can I share something with you? They're the exact same God. There's only one. And God's mercy is rich in the Old Testament. And God's mercy is rich in the New Testament. 
God's wrath, and some people say, well, God seems angry in the Old Testament. God's wrath is... There are times when God's wrath is shown in the Old Testament. But can I tell you something? In the New Testament, God's wrath is going to be revealed big time. That's what the seven-year tribulation is all about that we're studying on Tuesday nights. And so it's the same God. In Malachi, God says... I am the Lord and I do not change. Malachi, the last book written in the Old Testament, he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And they were to hold on to that during that 400 uh, silent year period. The Old Testament is not archaic. It is not out of date. It is relevant for our our lives today. And as we, uh, you know, Learn it. Boy, it just gives us profound instruction. Jesus affirms the authority of Scripture here. He says it will not fail. Not one jot, not one tittle will fail until all of it is fulfilled. And you know what that means for us? It means we can build our lives on it. It gives us wisdom. It teaches us how to be a good friend, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good businessman, how to be a good neighbor, how to be a leader in your community, how to be a a leader in your church, how to be a builder of men and women. Yeah, God's Word is powerful, and it is very relevant for our lives, and Jesus affirms all of the authority of scripture he says hey don't think that one jot or one tittle of it will be broken all of it will be fulfilled and i wonder are you spending time in god's word so it can have its purpose and impact in your life god wants to make you wise jesus wants to give you discernment The Bible says that faith comes by understanding, and understanding comes by the Word of God. Are you reading it? Oh, the Word of God will build you in a powerful way. There's a great verse in the Bible, good memory verse. Uh, It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, on your screens for you. Take a look at this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And look what he says that it's profitable for. It's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete. Complete, lacking nothing, having everything that he needs, equipped for every situation. Look what it says. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not marginally equipped to be a husband. Not marginally equipped to be a wife, no, to be a parent. No, no, no. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is so relevant for our life. And it's so important that we understand. And Jesus is affirming the authority of Scripture. Super important. It's relevant for not only our life, but also this present age that we're living in. Do you know the Bible has a lot to say about this present age? The last days that are, that are upon us, do you know what it says? Some very interesting things, by the way. It says that there will be plagues like the one that we're in. It says that there will be uh, all kinds of problems like that we have around us. It says that Israel 
will be a nation. That didn't happen until 1948. It's a nation now. But it says this, not only will it be a nation, but it will be a burdensome stone to all the nations around it. Guess what Israel is today? Yeah, it's a, it's a hot spot, isn't it? The Bible says that in the last days that we will have childish leaders. The Bible says that in the last days an antichrist will rise up and he will have profound charisma that just wows everybody. He will wow everybody so much that they will instantly propel him to be a a world leader. And it says that he will bring in a one world government. Boy, I look at the world today and I see we are ripe for that kind of thing. If a charismatic leader came on the scenes that was just quick and sharp and oh, we would just go, yes, yes, we're looking for We're looking for that. It's crazy. The Bible says that he will bring peace to Israel, oddly enough. Yeah, he'll make a seven-year peace agreement with them. And they'll have peace for three and a half years. But he'll break that agreement. And then he'll set himself up as God. And the great tribulation will be on the earth. And there will be wars and, 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 and terrible times and great tribulation and it will end in the battle of Armageddon, a battle so fierce that Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. And yet, for the elect's sake, for Israel's sake, those days are going to be shortened. And then Jesus will return. He will stop this utter annihilation of mankind he will return and stop it before it happens and he will set up his kingdom on earth hey we're going through these things in the book of revelation on tuesday nights i encourage you to tune in the point is simply this jesus is affirming all that is written he says it will not fail god's word will not fail we can bank on it we can build our life on it we can build our our house on it like jesus said he says the wise man Here's my commandments. He studies them. He learns them. He meditates on them. And he builds his house on the rock. The foolish man, he, he ignores those things and he builds his house on the sand. Hey, we can build our house on the rock. And it's so important that we know scripture so that we can do that. So that we have Bible studies so that we can do that. That's why we are studying our Bible now. And oh, dads, during this time of quarantine, and always, I hope that you're doing family Bible studies with your kids. Because we can't build our lives on the authority of Scripture unless we know it. Unless we know it. Unless we're studying it. I know that uh, I was on a a Zoom meeting this week with about uh, 25 other pastors. And uh, one thing that I heard reoccurring over and over is how everyone is doing really short messages online. And we're not. We're not. As you know, we're not. And here's why. There's a temptation for sermonettes right now because it's more difficult listening at home with the distraction of the kids and everything else. But here's, here's the, isn't it crazy? Uh, I know the enemy would like to use this for for. for, for Bad things, right? Like we no longer fellowship together and then we no longer study the word. And No, no, no. Let's not let that happen. Let's make studying God's word a priority. 
And I know it's harder with the distractions with the kids and everything, but, but can I say something to you in all sincerity? Have some priorities. Focus. Focus. Hit the pause button if the kids are getting, uh, uh, you know, if distractions are happening. And teach them that you have a reverence for God and they are to have a reverence for God. Set aside this hour to be a student of God's Word. Develop disciplines for Bible study. God's Word will not fail, Jesus said. We can bank on it and we need to know it. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, those who ignore God's Word will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But those who obey and teach God's Word, they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Hey, the choice is yours. What do you want to be? Do you know it's possible to just miss the the whole intent and to go through life and not realize, wow, God gave us his word that we might know him and walk with him. That is the intent of the Bible. And so Jesus, he's affirming the authority of Scripture. And look what he does here. He further affirms the authority of Scripture with a shocking statement. Look what he says in, uh, in verse 20, uh, a shocking statement, right? Just further affirming the authority of God's word. Look at this. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees were uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh my gosh, what a shocking statement. You see, the religious leaders took great pride in their righteousness, in their self-righteousness, in their outward appearance. They were followers of God's law. But you know what happened? They still had impure hearts. Oh, they did it for the outward. They loved to be called rabbi in the marketplaces. Hey, rabbi. Hey, rabbi. By the way, you never need to call me pastor. You can just call me David. They loved to be called rabbi. They loved to wear their long flowing robes that showed they were religious leaders. So that when you walked around, just, oh, that guy's a rabbi. I mean, you just knew it, you know, like, oh, look, look at him. Religious clothing. They loved religious clothing. And when they walked by somebody that was unclean, they would pull their robe in tight. And they didn't want to be defiled by anybody else. You see, they were better than everybody else in their own mind. They thought they were so spiritual. And they look down on others. And may I say to you, it is the polar opposite of what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not those who think they're so righteous already. You see, they were the polar opposite of the Beatitudes. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, there is no way, there is no way you're ever going to enter the kingdom of God. I, uh, 
heard of a, a story of a blonde, a beautiful blonde, who was flying with her boyfriend to the Bahamas. And as they were flying to the Bahamas for the weekend, her boyfriend, in this little two-passenger plane, right? There they are, flying, romantic little weekend. And her boyfriend suddenly has a massive heart attack and dies. She panics. She gets in a rage. She radios the tower. Ah, ah, my boyfriend, we're flying to the Bahamas. He's the pilot. He just had a heart attack. The tower tries to calm her down. It's okay. It's okay. We're experienced at this. We'll get you through this. Don't worry about it. And after she finally calms down, the tower says, okay, I have a question for you. What's your height? And what's your position? And she says, I'm 5'4", and I'm in the front seat. Yeah, yeah, what happened? Oh, she totally missed the intent, right? And that's what happened with the religious leaders. They totally missed the intent of God's law. And if we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is bringing us back to the real intent of God's law. If we read the Sermon on the Mount, if we take it to heart, we are going to quickly discover something. You know what we're going to discover? I can't do that. The law is so perfect. It is so good. It's inspiring. It's guiding. It gives me direction, but I fall short. I need a Savior. Just read through the Sermon on the Mount in one sitting. Take it to heart, and here's what you will become. You'll go, oh, I need a Savior. You'll become poor in spirit. That is the Lord's will for us. That's what He's pointing us to. He's showing us the true intent. Now Jesus will show us more of the true intent of God's law. Look what he says as he, as he kind of just reveals the true intent of God's law here. Look at this in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Yeah, yeah, we all know that. Don't murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. That's right. Uh, murderers go to hell. That's right. That's right. Yes, we've heard that. Verse 22. Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And ever, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. The council was the 70 uh, members of the Sanhedrin who would bring the, uh, the, the, the judgment of God's law. He says, if you say raka, raka was a Jewish term for, uh, for just contempt for somebody. It's like saying, oh, I hate that guy, raka. He says, hey, if you say that, you're in danger. Look what he says. And whoever says to his brother, excuse me, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Wow. Have you ever called someone a fool? Jesus says you're in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Yeah, you remember that you hurt your brother. You remember that you called him a fool. You re remember that you treated him with contempt. Here's what Jesus says. Leave your gift at the altar, and go your way first, and be reconciled to your brother, 
and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, hey, look, I don't really want religion. If you're not walking in my ways, first go and walk in my ways and then come and bring your gift to the altar. Wow, shows the true intent of God's law, doesn't he? Look look what he says, verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Hey, as soon as God prompts you, don't delay. Work out your your offense with your adversary, right? Work it out. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Wow. Did you catch that? What's Jesus teaching us? He's saying, hey, look, I want you to have a right heart with others. And I want that to be part of your worship of me. And he says, I want you to get it right right away. Don't delay. He says, listen, if you delay reconciliation, it will cost you more and more and more. It will get worse and worse and worse. And here Jesus is showing us very clearly the true intent of the law. The true intent of the law is for, the law is to guide our heart, not merely our actions. Jesus wants God's word to guide our heart, not merely our actions. Did you see that? He says, hey, you think murder is a bad thing and that murder should go to hell. And okay, he says, I'll give you that. But here's what he says. I don't judge murderers by the act of murder. I judge murder because it's done in the heart. Murder is done in the heart. And he says, hey, if you say you fool... You've already murdered somebody in your heart. Here's the question then. Who is a murderer? Wow, I am. Have you ever hated someone? Have you ever called someone, you idiot? Jesus says, you're guilty. You see, it's a hard issue. And uh, psychologists tell us that anger is the number one prompt for murder. And and Jesus said, hey, it all begins in the heart. I judge the heart, not the outward actions. Uh, Whoever says, you fool, you're in danger of going to hell. Oh my gosh. He says a similar thing about adultery, right? He says, whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has already committed adultery. You've already committed adultery in your heart. And that's what Jesus judges. You see, the word of God was to guide our heart, not merely our actions. And here's the issue, right? If a murderer is someone who says you're a fool, well, then we're all murderers. If adulterers is someone who says, who lust in their heart, well, then we're all adulterers. And we're all in need of a savior. And that's what the law reveals. The law reveals our desperate need of a savior. We desperately need a Savior. None of us match up. 
Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the, the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know what he could have said? He could have said this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of, and then you put anybody's name in there you want. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of Billy Graham, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of Mother Teresa, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of David Menard, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We need a righteousness that is far above our righteousness because God judges the heart and all of us are guilty. It's interesting, we are so guilty that we attempt to justify ourselves in everyday life. And we do this in several ways. Maybe some of, the, some of these will relate to you. Sometimes we try to justify ourselves by veneer righteousness. That's what the religious leaders did of Jesus' day. Looking righteous on the outside. Oh, we wear religious clothes. We say religious phrases. We act religious. Oh, praise the Lord. We use the Christian vernacular maybe. But it's all external. It's fake. It's not real. There are some people, you know, it's like, uh, it's just a front. It's just something that they put on. They act one way at church and act another way at work. They speak one way around Christians. They speak another way around others. It's all external. Many religious leaders tried to justify themselves and they took God's word and they turned it into something it was never intended to be, just an outward observance, just an outward action, just an outward righteousness. For example, the scripture says, do not commit adultery. So do you know what they did, the religious leaders? They wrote a volume, literally a volume of what it means to commit adultery. And they gave themselves a lot of loopholes. Well, you can do this, and you can do this, and it's not adultery. And you can do this, and it's not adultery. And you can do this, and it's not adultery. The only thing that is adultery is penetration. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. You've reduced the law to something. And Jesus brings us back to the true intent of the law. Here's what he says. He says, if, you've, if you even look at another woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He brings us back to the true intent. Gals, if you are with a guy and he is trying to give you a bill of goods that you're not having sex, hey, it's just, it's self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness. Better just to sleep together and be honest with yourself than it is to pretend that you're walking in God's ways when you're not. But even better yet, to actually walk in God's ways. There was another command that they did this on, just to illustrate, it's an outward righteousness only. There's a command in the scripture to honor your mother and father. And you know what the religious leaders did with that? They came up with this phrase, they said, well, I was going to use my time to honor my mother and father, but instead, I used it serving the Lord. I had a sermon to preach, I had a church to run, I had things to do. And therefore, they called it Corbin. Corbin. Corbin means what I was going to do for my honoring my parents, I'm now doing 
to serve the Lord in, instead. And that's good. That's righteous. And here's what Jesus said. In doing that, you make the law of God, the commandment of God, honor your mother and father of no effect. It's an outward righteousness. And Jesus says it's no good. But that's what we do. We like that veneer of righteousness because it makes us feel better. We're only fooling ourselves. Do you remember what Jesus said of that outward righteousness, the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day? Awesome illustration. I just love how Jesus spoke. You know what he said? He said, you guys look like caskets. Have you ever seen a casket? Oh, they're beautiful. They're polished. They're shiny. They're amazing. They look, you know, they're high gloss finish. They look like a new car. Jesus said, you're like caskets. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of death and rotting flesh. Wow. Powerful illustration. That's one way we try to justify ourselves. Another way that we try to justify ourselves is comparing ourselves with others. You see, the law reveals that we're all murderers, that we're all adulterers, that we're all liars, right? We, and so we try to justify ourselves by comparing with, with each other. Well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Not as bad as Lorenzo. Not as bad as, right? That's what we do. But it's a fake righteousness. It's a fake righteousness. It's not real. Here's another way that we try to justify ourselves. We blame others for our bad behavior. Typical in marriage, right? Typical. Guy starts yelling and screaming at his wife, and she's like starts crying, and he says, well, I wouldn't have yelled if you didn't do this and this. Oh, guess what you're trying to do? You're trying to justify yourself. A lot of ways we try to justify ourselves, and you know why we do? Because we need to be justified. We know it intrinsically. We need to be justified. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, listen, let me bring you back to the true intent of the law. It wants to guide you to a Savior. And you can be justified in Jesus Christ. Just come to me. Bring me your sin. I will cleanse you and I will give you my righteousness. Oh, incredibly powerful. You see, justifying ourselves it never works. It always leaves us feeling worse because deep inside we know we did wrong. But when we come to Jesus, Jesus made a provision for us on the cross. And when we fail, he picks us up. He restores us. He gives us his righteousness. And we don't feel the need to justify ourselves anymore. It's amazing. It's amazing. So great to be loved by the Father that way. So great to be loved by Jesus that way. So great to be taken care of that way. I remember when my kids were really little. Uh, I used to, we used to go to Disneyland every, you know, every couple of years. And uh, when the kids were just, you know, four and through eight years old, I have four kids. And when they were just real young, you know. And here's what would always happen. They'd have so much fun, you know, on the Pirates of the Caribbean and yo, 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 the life is good to me, right? And just eyes as big as saucers as they see Mickey Mouse and all these things. But by the end of the day, what would happen? They would fall apart. And it would be, you know, time to go home and we're walking back to the car and I just knew with tears and everything, hey, no problem. Pick them up, put them in the stroller. They're going to be out. It's going to be okay. 
And you know what? That happens to us in life. We go through life and we're doing pretty good. We're walking with the Lord and then, bam, we lust. Bam, we call someone a fool. We think highly of ourselves, whatever. And here's the cool thing. We can call on Jesus and he will pick us up and he will take us to himself and he will say, it's okay. Let me clean you up and get back on track with me. Oh, I want to encourage you. If you have not asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to make you his own, his son, his daughter, to carry you home in his bosom, oh, I would encourage you, do it now. Do it now. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've been uh, walking in a false religion, if you've been uh, putting on an outward show and just trying, you've missed the true intent of God's law, oh, come back to the truth right now and say, oh, I need Jesus to save me. Just call upon him and say, Lord, would you please forgive me of my sin? I believe that you died on the cross in my place. And Jesus, I want your death to cover me of my unrighteousness. And I want your righteousness imparted to me as a free gift. That my sins would be forgiven. That I would know you. That you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. That you would give me new life and the ability to walk and abide in you. Hey, if you'd like to pray that, I'd encourage you, just text us right now. We have people standing by that will respond to your, to your text. Just text, I need Jesus to 760-487-8890, and we will call you, and we will pray with you, and we will help you take some new steps in your relationship with the Lord. We would love to pray with you. I encourage you right now, just stop. Hit the pause button and text. Jesus says, all who call upon me, I will answer. No one that comes to me, I will cast out. Everyone who comes to me, I will respond. I will come to him with a pure heart. Jesus wants our heart, not our veneer. And it is just so important. Jesus reveals the true intent of God's law, and it's to guide our heart, not merely our outward actions. He wants to guide our heart, not merely our outward actions. Look at this. Look what he says. Let's uh, read a little bit more in here and just... uh, We'll see how far we can get time-wise. Verse 27. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, I've heard that. Yep. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, don't be myopic. Don't make it about the external. I want your heart to be pure. You see, all of the commands that Jesus gives, they're not just to make life difficult, they're to make life rich. And if you are going around just lusting everywhere, here's what happens. Your flesh will begin to control your life. And you'll start treating people as objects instead of as humans. And you'll be far less than God created you to be. Oh, how it breaks my heart when I know that men are stuck in pornography and it has its hooks in them and they just have corrupt thoughts all the time. And Jesus is saying, I want to free you from all of that. You see, it's a heart issue, not an external action. Look what he says, verse 29. For if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members would perish, that you would lose an eye, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Yeah, better to lose an eye and to walk with God 
than to be a lusty little guy going straight to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable that you should lose one of your members, your hand, than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Hey, what is Jesus saying? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I understand how hard it is. I understand how hard it is to go through this life and not to fall into sin. But here's what he's saying. Take your sin seriously. Don't treat it lightly. Some Christians put on a fake righteousness and they think it means that they can just sin all they want because Jesus will forgive them. Uh, you might be quite surprised when you stand before Jesus. No one practicing sin on a regular basis is abiding in Jesus Christ. They're just mutually exclusive. Exclusive. Jesus is saying, hey, take your sin seriously. All of us are going to fall. There's forgiveness when we fall. It's flowing. It's free. There's tons of grace. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. He'll heal us, right? But here he says uh, also, hey, don't, don't just abuse the grace of God. Take your sin seriously. Verse 31, look what he says. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Yeah, there was a very liberal attitude towards marriage. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if it doesn't work out, just get a divorce. But look what Jesus says. Jesus says, but I say to you, that's, that's not right. He says, I say to you, whoever divorces wife for any reason at all, except sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, your marriage is, sac is sacred. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, listen, murder begins in the heart. Guard your heart. Adultery begins in the heart. Your heart is sacred. Guard your heart from murder. Guard your heart from adultery. Guard your marriage. Your marriage is sacred. Remember what I have in mind for you. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard it said, those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it's a city of a great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. I tell you what, that's true. If I could make them black, I would. A lot of gray coming up there. Jesus is saying, hey, look what he says, verse 37. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. When you start saying, oh, well, I swear to God I didn't do it. You know what that means? It means that you now have to take oaths to keep you from lying. I always find it interesting when people say, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm like, well, well good. Yeah, I'm glad you're not going to lie to me. Why do you have to say that, right? Or I swear I didn't do it. Well, why, right? Jesus is saying, it's of the heart. Let all your words be truthful. Do you see what he's saying? He says, hey, look, murder begins in the heart. Adultery begins in the heart. Your heart is sacred. Your marriage is sacred. Your words are sacred. Verse 38 you have heard it said of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yes, that's right. Judgment, right? You did this to me, I'll do this to you, right? 
critical spirit. Well, you did that? I'm, what'd you do that for, right? I mean, you've heard it said that, yes. Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. What's he saying? Hey, be willing to be wronged. Be willing to get used. Don't worry about just, you know, getting an eye for an eye. Don't be that way. And you say, well, why did the scripture then say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? It did say that, actually. But here's who it said it to. It said it to the elders of Israel, the judges of Israel. It was for a courtroom. It was for a courtroom setting. It wasn't for how to go around in everyday life. Jesus, boy, he, he did not go eye for eye, right? What did he do? No, he took all of our sin upon himself and he went to the cross for us. That's what he's saying here. Verse 41, if anyone compels you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. What's he saying? He's just saying, hey, be exceedingly generous. Don't say, hey, I gave you a cup of sugar last time. You never paid me back a cup of sugar. No, I don't have any sugar. Uh, sorry, I'm out of sugar. No, don't be like that. He says, be exceedingly generous. Verse 43, you have heard it said of old, you shall love your neighbor and hate your, hate your enemy. I say to you, don't be like that. We really see that in the, in the political process, don't we? How different it would be if we loved our enemy in politics, if Democrats could love Republicans and Republicans could love Democrats. Oh, we could come together and we could talk and we could hear both sides and have great resolutions. Verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Win their hearts to you through generosity. You see, Jesus told us we were to be the salt and the light of the earth. And it's going to take some generosity in order for that to happen. It's going to take some grace in order for that to happen. This is who he wants us to be. Look what verse 45. I love verse 45. He says, do these things that you might be sons of your father in heaven. Wow. And here's what I always remember on that verse. Here's what Jesus is saying. Do this so that you can look like, just like dad. Just like your heavenly father. Do that so you can look just like Jesus. That's what he's saying. Do these things that you might be the sons of your father in heaven. For look what he does. This is God. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Yeah, the guy that, the guy that robs a liquor store at night. He gets the same sunrise in the morning as the, as the person who was doing good things. He's just good. He gives them food, right? Look what he says. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Yeah, the wicked farmer that's uh, uh, putting poison on the crops and he doesn't care. He just wants to grow big strawberries. Doesn't care if it gives you cancer. Yeah, God sends him rain in the morning just like he sends the good farmer rain in the morning. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. Verse 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
Here's what he's saying. If you only love people who love you, if you only treat people good when they treat you good, how's that working for you? What reward have you? Are you you salt and light? Is your life having a big impact? Here's a question for you to consider right now. Who's following you? Those of you who call yourself Christians and, 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 and have a walk with God, you've been a Christian for a number of years, here's my question to you. Who's following you? Is your life having impact? Are you salt and light? Don't forget why Jesus called you. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors, don't even unbelievers do that? And if you greet the brethren only, what more do you do than non-believers? Don't even the non-believers do that? There's no display of God's love or God's power in them. Therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Hey, here's what, we re- here's what we see just as we close things out. Let me close it out with this. The law reveals the true intent that God has for us. It's that we would follow him with all of our heart. He wants to govern our heart, not just our external behaviors. Here's the, here's the whole of it. The law reveals Jesus. The law reveals the person of God. His name is Jesus. Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. When you read the Beatitudes, you know who you see? Jesus. When you look at Jesus teaching the the law, you know who you see? Jesus. Oh, he sends rain to the wicked farmers and to the good farmers. He sends sunshine to the thief and to the the good neighbor. He just blesses, he's generous, and he does it in hope that one day you would come to him and understand how much love he has for you. Jesus says, be like that, that you might be sons of your father. Jesus reveals the true intent of God's law. Uh, Jesus reveals what God loves and what God hates. Jesus reveals what pleases God and what grieves God, what he values and what he despises. He is amazing. He is holy. He is just. He is glorious. He is patient. He is responsible. He is tenderful and merciful. He is faithful. He is incredibly gracious. And he calls us to be transformed into his image. Oh, what an amazing calling we have on our lives. No, we're not going to do it perfectly. Yes, we're going to fall short. When we do, there's tons of grace. But this is the upward call of knowing Jesus. And may it happen in our lives that he can use us to be salt and light for his power and for his glory and all by his grace. That's his will for us. May we walk in it. This is the true intent of God's law. And I'm so thankful to Jesus for revealing it to us. Hey, may the Lord bless you this week. I hope you have a great week. I hope that on Memorial Day, you just start practicing some of these things we're talking about. Be generous. Uh, Forgive those who have something against you and and work out that, you know, work at reconciling those struggled relationships and just start walking in the generosity of Christ. Oh, it'll fill your heart with, with joy as you do. The Holy Spirit will lead, guide, and direct you. It's an amazing journey. May we walk it together. Look forward to seeing you on Tuesday night. Thanks so much for tuning in. May the Lord richly bless you. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming in.
you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.